If you are in Isaiah 6, we're going to be there. That's going to be one of our first uh, chapter parts of the passage. Uh, we're not going to be doing Galatians, as I said a couple weeks ago. We, we are going to be looking at some different themes for the next few weeks. Uh, next week, we bring on Bill Baker as uh, an elder, and we're going to be looking at leadership principles. Uh, this, is part, this is part one of a two-part message, so we're going to be looking at leadership next week. Um, but this week, we're going to be looking at philosophy of ministry, foundation of a philosophy for ministry. And I'm going to be looking at what I would call five foundational stones. Actually, we'll probably only get to four of them, maybe only three. Uh, a few weeks ago, you heard a letter read, uh, Charlie's Resignation. And, and Charlie used a word, actually phrase, of philosophy of ministry. And then last week, you, you heard um, Corey Fair preach a message on a triangle. Remember the triangle? And the, the bottom part was principles, and then after that was philosophy of ministry. And then it goes right up to people and programs. And I had a number of people ask me, what's the philosophy of ministry? Uh, what are you talking about? Like this, you know, what? and actually, as I started thinking about it, I thought, you know, one, we've never been clear, and two, I don't know if I could have even actually defined it. I knew what it was, but you know how sometimes you have a concept, but you can't really put words to it? Well, today we're going to try to put words to it, okay? And try to explain to you what a philosophy of ministry is. Now, I, you may say, oh, that sounds very boring. The reality is this, if, if, if you, we have a philosophy for almost everything we do, uh, philosophy in a short sentence is this, why do you do what you do? And the, the reality when it comes to church, there are certain things we do in church and it has to do with the why. Why do you do what you do? Why do we do this church different than maybe the church down the road? What are the principles that drive us to do why, which shows us, does, uh, helps us to understand what we do, the how. Okay, So the, the principles... Theology drives the why, the, the philosophy, which drives the how. Um, hopefully we don't do ministry here because Rick Warren does it that way in, in California. Now, some people do that, by the way. A lot of churches simply do a ministry because some other big church is doing a ministry and they just keep doing the, and that's the how. And they keep bringing in different programs because it's out there. By the way, if you ever look at, uh, you know, the stuff that pastors get, there's all kinds of programs out there. That's the how. But again, we want to actually back it up and say, what are the principles? What are God's truths that, that are the non-negotiables that drive the why that produces the how? Okay, so really it's not dry. This is not like dry stuff. This is like cutting edge. This is why we do what we do. So let's, let's look at the biblical philosophy of ministry. I, I would define, and I'm not even sure if I put in your bulletin, but it's a set of principles that determine how you will function in your ministry. That's pretty simple. It's, it's a, a set of principles that determines how. That's the how. The how is, in a few more weeks, we're going to be doing the how. How do we do Olympian program? How do we do Word of Life? How do you do Sunday school? How do we do worship? But that should be based on some principles. It shouldn't be this, that we do worship the way we do because we feel like we'll get the biggest crowd. Uh, we do worship the way we do because we believe that's what the people want. Do you understand that that is non-glorifying to Jesus Christ? That's making you the idol, you the God. So the philosophy of ministry is something, it's how you do what you do based on principle. I would say this, biblical principle. 
Let's not just say principles, let's say biblical principles. Let's say this way, non-negotiable biblical principles. So really, a philosophy is really a theology of ministry. It's a theology. It's a theology. In other words, the philosophy is built on theology. At least in the church it should be that way. It's why we do what we do. Why? Why? You know, I think we have a philosophy for almost any area of our life. You have a philosophy. If you're married, you have a philosophy of marriage. You know that? Now, you may not be able to define it, but you do have a philosophy. Why do you do what you do? Well, I do it because I don't want her to get upset with me and leave me. That's your philosophy. Uh, I do it. I do what I do because I want to please her because I don't want to be left out in intimacy. That's a philosophy. Or I do what I do because it just makes me happy. That's a philosophy. That why do you do what you do? It's based on some principles. I'm not saying those are biblical. What should it be? I'm doing my marriage the way it's, I'm doing it because it honors Jesus Christ, and I find in Ephesians five. But those are all philosophies. It's why you do what you do. Again, if you want to play it out like linear, it would be this. We have a statement of faith. If you are a member, you've read that statement of faith in our Constitution. It's all the doctrines. That's the doctrines. That's the statement of faith. That's what we believe. And then again, how we do ministry are all the different programs. But what connects those two things is the philosophy. In other words, you can go to two different churches that have the same type of uh, statement of faith, but if you look at what they do and why they do it, it may be totally different. You say, well, how is it that they're... Because their philosophy, the why, is different. So the why is very important. It leads us to how we do ministry. By the way, it's very important for this reason. Because once you start understanding the... the, the um, the foundation stones, as it were, then it becomes a lot easier to say no to certain things and yes to other things. That's one of the problems with the church as it grows through uh, history. We, we have a tendency to be like a, um, like a ship. You know, like a big ship that goes on Lake Erie? And, and many times ships out, out to sea collect barnacles. You know, you have to go in. And sometimes this church is like that. We, we become like a ship that collects a lot of barnacles. Someone had an idea about this program, and that was 25 years ago, but we're still doing it because it worked then and it's going to work now. And it's like a barnacle. And, well, if you have too many barnacles on a ship, what happens? It starts to slow down, starts to weigh down. A philosophy, the stones, the, the, the stones of truth, as I'm going to share with you, are going to help us to be able to say yes to certain things and no to other things. It's going to say this is the core things that we want to accomplish here at Alfred Allman. Now, Saddleback, that's where Rick Warren's at. They might do it a different way, but this is what we are going to do because of the the core beliefs that we have. So again, it helps us with unity. I believe it also helps you with the big picture. The big picture. You know, it helps us with unity because if a person says, well, I, I believe we should have this. Well, let's make sure it's part of our philosophy. I believe we should do it this way. Well, let's make sure that we're all in unity on this, unity of direction. And as an elder of a number of years here, I've seen sometimes, it, we, you know, it's like this. Well, wait a second here. Why are we doing what we're doing? And it almost seems like sometimes it's frayed. And again, we want to make sure we're unified. We want to understand we, the big picture. In other words, understand the whole so that each part complements each part and, and doesn't become disunifying and maybe even competitive. 
Sometimes I've seen ministries actually be competitive with another ministry. So the philosophy tells us the why. It's the theology behind why we do what we do. The how. And let's, let's just go to the first one. The first foundational stone. Now, after... I was gone for a couple of days. We had a family reunion. But I was thinking about this. I, and maybe by next week I'll have this done. But I would almost like to get five big rocks. Or maybe I'll use... Um, Cement blocks. We'll see. We'll see. If I can get a couple, five of them from my son-in-law, we'll have those. But anyways, I should have like, uh, you know, cement blocks up here. You know, give me some big ones, not little ones. And I should be able to put these down and say, these are the foundational stones of Alfred Allman Bible Church as found in the scriptures. The first foundational stone of a philosophy of ministry is a high view of God. A high view of God. Now again, if you're in Isaiah 6, question you, did, did Isaiah have a high view of God when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? <laughs> I mean, holy, holy, holy. And then what's, what's his next statement? Verse 5. So, woe is me. I'm undone. I mean, that term is like a I've told you many times, it's like a sweater that was knitted. And you know how sometimes if you, if you got a pair of gloves or a sweater, you know someone knitted it for you, but you know, like a little kid will say, oh, look at this, it's a string. And they start pulling it, you know, and it starts to unravel. That's actually the word that he's using there. It was used for that. Woe is me, I am undone. I'm being unraveled. I've seen God's holiness and it's unraveling me. It's shaking me. It's making me so I'm not confident in myself. Woe is me, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. By the way, where does uncleanness come from? It comes from the heart, but what did Jesus say? But out of your mouth proceeds wickedness. Why? Because it's in your heart. So when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's saying, listen, and I have a dirty heart, because that's where it comes from. I dwell in the midst of, it's not just me, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the, the King, the Lord of hosts. So again, the first major foundational stone is a high view of God. Now, by the way, we're going to be looking at the scriptures. We're going to be looking at man. We're going to be looking at the church and leadership. Those are the other stones. But I want you to catch this. The first and primary stone is how you view God. It's how you view God. See, we're not even starting with the scriptures on this one. We're starting with God. How I view God, how I consider God, will determine the direction of my life in this church and everyone here. By the way, the word holy, I like what James Boyce says. He says, fundamentally, in the most fundamental sense, holy is not an ethical concept. Holy, primarily, is not about right and wrong. He's not talking, when he's saying holy, 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 he's not primarily saying he is, he is true or he is right versus wrong. Rather, it means that that which is of, of the very nature of God and which therefore distinguishes him from everything else. That's what the word holy means. It's what distinguishes him from everything else in the universe. It is what sets God apart from his creation. It has to do with his transcendence. In other words, his otherness. Notice, it's only about holiness, that, that one attribute that is said thrice. Never said of God, he is love, love, love. He is uh, true, true, true. He is um, gentle, gentle, gentle. But when it comes to holiness, holy, holy, holy in Scripture. He's the other. He's separated from us. He's different from us. <coughs> uh, 
Christians many times try to make God just their friend. Well, he is our friend. It says that in Scripture. He is, Jesus says, I can call you brother. But remember, he's the other, right? And he is calling us out of the world to become the other, all right? That's what it means to be a saint. It means to be holy. It means to be separated, be different from the world. So we need to think of ourselves as the other. Now, does that mean that we don't affect the world? No. But in affecting the world, you're trying to bring them to be the other on God's side. That's called evangelism. Now, again, as a church, we need to have this as the first stone, a high view of God. You have to see that in your own life. Do you have a high view of God in your own life? Because, again, we can't say that the church has a high view of God if if as individuals we don't as individuals, right? Now, let me, get, let, let me say the other, let, let's play, not the devil's advocate, but let me show you the opposite side. I think this is in your outline. A failure to have the high view of God leads to, what is a failure? Let's say you get a church or a person that doesn't have a high view of God. This is one of the things that will happen in their life. They will have a toleration of sin. They will tolerate sin. They'll tolerate it in the church, and they will to- tolerate it in their own life. Remember, First Peter says, actually going back to this passage, it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. If you don't have a high view of God, you will tolerate sin in your life. Because again, we don't see ourselves as needing to, to be separated. Separated unto God. It's interesting, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 12, Aaron and his sons were consecrated to God Holy to the Lord. That, that's what it was. That's what he saw when, he, when in Scripture. I think fifteen times it says in the Old Testament that they were holy to the Lord. That they were holy to the Lord. They were holy to the Lord. What does that mean? They were they were set aside for a specific set apart for a specific purpose, and that was to honor God. That's what you've been if you are a Christian. You've been set aside for a specific purpose, and that is to honor God by becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's my purpose in life. You know, a few years ago, we, Rick Warren kept saying, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? You know, I, I want to find my purpose. I can tell you your purpose, Romans 8. It's to be conformed, if you're a Christian, to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be conformed to his image. <coughs> That's my whole purpose. That's your whole purpose. That's what we're moving towards, by the way. When we see him, what we will be like him. So again, we need to be sanctified, as John 17 says, sanctified in truth. So I need to be separated. I need to be separated and set apart and, and, and be the other compared to our society and my life and my family. And I can't tolerate sin. By the way, ask yourself, do you tolerate sin? Do you say I tolerate sin in your own life? Do we tolerate it here? I and mean, I've thought about that. Sometimes we do in the church. We've tolerated sin. We'll listen to gossip and not confront it. We will go through a situation where a person should be disciplined and we won't do it. I'm not saying always, you know, but I'm saying as I look back and as I thought about it, do I ever tolerate sin? Yeah. I t- By the way, do you tolerate it in your own life? Do you have those same things in your life? Do you tolerate the uh, um, maybe slander? How about this? Do you get entertained by sin and you don't shut it off? You know, you'll watch something and they are blaspheming God. They might be saying it, they may be portraying it, or they may be just excluding him. And we don't turn it off because we are entertained. It's a movie. Well, I just had to get past those, you know, 15 swear words and two bed scenes. 
And somehow we think that God is pleased. And yet, would it, remember, Isaiah, by the way, this affects me too. Isaiah said, I, I, I was undone. I mean, it was like God's, God's vision was cutting through my heart and through my soul. He saw everything. So do we tolerate sin? I, let me give you a second thing it does. If we don't have a high view of God, we will have a focus on man. See, if you don't focus on God, you're going to focus on man. We will be men-pleasers. In other words, we will come to the service asking the question, what does it do for me? Uh, Leaders will ask the question, what does the congregation want versus what is pleasing to God? I mean, this this runs uh, deep. In fact, worship is always not for me, it's for God, right? Now, thankfully, we can participate together, and that's the residual is I'm blessed. Were you blessed by the worship? Were you actually blessed? Did, did you, in your heart, say, Lord, I, have, I want to have greater commitment. I can honor you. I trust that's what it was. But that's just a residual. That's a byproduct. The reason we came to worship was for, for God, right? But even the message. Uh, my, you know, I was thinking about this all week as far as, do I preach to you or do I preach, first of all, for God? Is he my audience or are you? Am I concerned about what you think or am I more concerned with what he thinks? So everything we do should be a high view of God. And again, the church that doesn't have a high view of God reflects a man-centered ministry that attempts to please peers rather than glorify God. Sometimes you see it with straw polls. Let's take a straw poll and see what they think. What does that really matter? What matters is what does God think, right? And I'm not saying that we, you know, sometimes can't get... Uh, wisdom from you to determine what God wants in this church, but let's be careful we're not man-pleasers. Let's be careful that John Prince is not a man-pleaser. You know, these are a couple questions you could ask. Are we teaching, am I teaching, with a focus on promoting God's holiness and His glory or man's comfort? What am I focused on? Is it your comfort? (laughs) Boy, I hope I say a nice little illustration where people go like this. Ah... And they walk away saying, oh, thank you, John. That just made me feel so good. Well, I mean, I hope sometimes you're really encouraged. You walk away real encouraged. But is it for man's glory or for making you feel good? Is it for his reverence, his character? Why do we come to church? And when we come, do we focus on his love and mercy and not also, I mean, by the way, you should focus on his love and mercy, but also his holiness and his justice, right? So we've got to make sure that we're here for his purposes. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn there real quick. By the way, this is a topical message, so we'll just be hitting, hitting different topics. Second um, Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I think it's verse 3. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Don't notice that. Own desires. That's why they're doing it. Their own desires. Because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They have itching ears. MacArthur said this, They have an itch to be entertained by teaching that will produce pleasant sensations and leave them with good feelings about themselves. <laughs> you know. By the way, that's a natural... Do you want to feel good about yourself? Actually, sinful man, all I want to be... The idea is, though, do you want to be challenged by God's Word? That's really why we should come together. And you may say, well, gee, you always preach 40 minutes. Actually, there's a church just down the road that he, he told me, he said, I don't ever go over 20. So if you want to go for something for 20, it's just down the road. I won't tell you the exact location, but you can find it. 
But you know, the point is, and again, I can be, by the way, I should never bore you. And if I do bore you, you should, you know, but then again, if it's truth, it shouldn't be boring. But again, you know, am I trying to preach to itching ears, trying to entertain you? You know, the world says keep it short, keep it interesting, keep it enjoyable and not boring. Of all things, don't ever get boring. You know what? Sometimes when you get into the Word of God, I wouldn't call it boring. I would call it difficult. Sometimes it's very hard to, you know, to... Well, it's probably like that in your own devotions and stuff. At times it's not easy. Especially if He's talking to you on something. Yeah, I mean, like He's starting to put your, His thumb on you and saying, listen, you need to go in this direction. Don't let it go. In fact, just one, a few minutes ago, I would say one of the things we need to really test is our entertainment in America. If you're being entertained by sin, you have to be very, very careful. Do you understand? And maybe God is pressing on you and saying, you know what, what are you watching on the internet? What are you watching on TV? What are you listening to on the radio? Because those things can, can move your mind and your heart away from me, and I need to be high and lifted up. You know, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9, um, Isaiah is writing about a rebellious people, and that, this is what he says, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, in other words, the prophets, do not see, and, the, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Now, what, is, what do they want then? Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceit. <laughs> you know, prophesy to us things that aren't even true, but they make us feel okay. Prophesy to us things, deceitful things. They're going in the wrong direction, but at least it makes us feel right. And he says they're rebellious people. So the first one, the first question is um, a focus on whether I'm promoting God's holiness or, or man's comfort. How about number two? Uh, do we practice biblical discipline? Biblical church discipline. These are questions under number one. I haven't even moved on to number two yet. And I'm running out of time. But the point is, do we practice church discipline? I think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's a man who was, who was immoral with his father's wife, which is probably his stepmother. And notice it says in verse 2, you were puffed up. This is the Corinthians. You're puffed up. You're puffed up with sin because you're not dealing with this situation. You're just allowing it to happen. Look at verse 3. I've already indeed, I've indeed for I indeed as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged. This is interesting. Here's Paul saying, listen, I've already judged the situation because you've told me what's happening, and I can tell you biblically what's hap- what should be done. I've judged the situation. <clears throat> By the way, should we judge? Answer, yes or no. Should we judge? Absolutely. But just make sure that you get the beam out of your own eye, Matthew 7. Verse 4, in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you gather together along with my spirit, because I'm not going to be there, but with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Boy, that's, that's bold. That will make you lose members. <laughs> you mean I go to that church and I might even be handed over for the destruction of the flesh? Well, if you don't want to walk with God and you say you're a Christian, again, that's part of church discipline. By the way, we love people. We want to see... The whole point of church discipline is to bring back so that they would be restored. But if a person gets rebellious and does not want it, then we should go for the, the full... We should go for the full race, as it were, with that person. Run with them. And then finally, another question. Do we compromise truth for the sake of pleasing people or maintaining the status quo so we don't lose people or don't lose money? I hope not. 
A commitment to the high view of God then, now catch this, leads to our next foundational stone. And that is a sufficient view of Scripture. If we have a high view of God, the next thing is a sufficient view of Scripture. Sufficient. We'll only look at one passage, 2 Timothy 3.16. Many of you know it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for... No, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You're going you're to chasten me for that. Okay. All Scripture is inspired. See, that verse right there tells us a number of things about Scripture. It's inspired. And it says it's inspired. It's inerrant because it says all Scripture. It doesn't say just some. It's authoritative because it's of God. It's not only that, but it's profitable, which means it's relevant. It's profitable for all those things, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and again, that means it's all sufficient. Because at the actually the last part of that verse says, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every I think that's verse seventeen. Every good work, thoroughly equipped. Every you know, that is totally sufficient for every situation that we have need of to have information on the Word of God addresses, either specifically or by principle. That's a sufficient view of Scripture. I go to the Scriptures, you go to the Scriptures for answers, and it will lead us. It is authoritative. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I trust that you go to God's word to get answers. But you know what? If a church or a people do not do that, what if we fail to do that? This is what will happen to that church. We will pursue personal comfort and pleasure rather than obedience. That's a, if we fail to see the sufficient view of, of Scripture, we're going to end up looking for our own pleasure and not being obedient to it because we're going to say, well, you know, it speaks of those things in this situation, but you don't understand my situation. See, because we don't see it as sufficient. I know it's wrong to commit immorality, but you don't understand my situation. I understand that I should not be leaving my wife or my husband, but you don't know my situation. See, that's, that's going after their own personal comfort and pleasure. Remember what Nathan tells David from, and again, speaking for God, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? David was not doing what Scripture said. So if we don't have a high view of, or a sufficient view of Scripture, there will be a tendency in our lives and in the church to go after personal pleasure and comfort rather than obedience. That's the issue. It won't be, we're not going to be seeking to be obedient. To trust and submit to the Word of God. That's what Jesus was doing out in the desert when he was tempted and he said, man should not live by bread alone. I, I, he was saying this, I am going to trust, I'm going to be obedient to what Scripture says. This is the second thing will happen if we fail to have a sufficient view of Scripture. There will be an elevation of personal experience above God's Word. An elevation of personal experience. Experience will become authoritative in the person's life. I've met a number of people where they'll say, well, I know what the Scripture says, but this is what I experienced. Hmm. So your experience, you know what the Scripture says, and it's, you know the direction you should go, but you're saying that this is what you are because of based on what you do. 
You see how, and by the way, that can be very subtle. We, we can all, I've, I've gone down that path period, periodically of saying, well, I know what Scripture says, but, again, all experience should be just reversed. That all experiences must be tested by more, but by the Word of God. That's how it should be. My experience, I can have a lot of different experiences, and sometimes they can lead me far, far away, but I have to test them according to the Word of God. And therefore, it's not my emotions and my feelings or even my experiences. It's really my thinking process that must guide me, okay? By the way, let me say this. When a person says that, you know, you you have to be filled with uh, the renewing of your mind, that's got to do with your heart. And we always go like this. I've seen people do it all. We go like this. Well, you have to fill your mind so that it can control your heart. And we always go like this. That's not your heart that the Scripture is talking about. It's the inner man. It's the drive. The heart is the intellect, the emotion, and the will all together. The Word of God should affect my heart. It should be like this. The Word of God speaks to me through my mind, not through my experience, not through my feelings. The Word of God speaks to me through my mind, and therefore I determine to go in a direction based on the Word of God, and that's my heart determining it, okay? It's, Lord, this is what you want. It might be this. You may be saying, like just for a couple minutes ago, uh, toleration of sin. You know, Lord, you're right. I should not be watching that. And Lord, I will commit to you that I will turn that off from this point on. What has just happened? Your mind has been affected and your heart has determined the direction. Okay? That's the renewing of your mind. That's what should be happening. We should be a holy people. I, I, I fear that we sometimes are not effective because we are, we are dirty. We have been dirtied by this world and so dirty that we can't even see how dirty we really are. And God is only saying this, if you would just be holy, I'll work through you. But I'm not going to work through a dirty instrument. And I'm not going to work through a dirty church. Even if you do praise my name. And finally, a failure to have a sufficient view of Scripture means that contemporary thinking rather than the principles of divine truth become our guide for life. See, contemporary thinking... And we're all in, I've seen this with myself and other, this was quite a few years ago, but chasing books. A book comes out, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And the crazy thing is, if you start reading it, some of it's not even scriptural. But you know, this is what this guy wrote and it must be true. Or even if it's true, wait a second, is it biblical? Because if it is, it's found in scripture. I'm not, I, I have a lot of books. I have thousands of books. But the reality is, you know, we can't be book chasers. We have to be God chasers, right? We have to be following that. I don't even know if I like that. We don't chase God. God chases us. But the reality is, let's walk with him, okay? And then, because of this contemporary thinking, we buy into the, all these wrong philosophies, and, you know, we buy into the, and this is wrong self-image, and codependency, and emotional abuse. And I'll sit down with someone and say, well, I have to leave him because he's emotionally abusive to me. And I'm like, where do you find that in Scripture? The guy might be a jerk, but where do you find that as a mandate to leave your husband? Do you see what I'm saying? I know I might be even stepping on your toes, but be careful that your emotions and your feelings and your experiences aren't dictating the direction you're going to be going in that particular marriage or with your kids. I'm not saying he might, he might be a jerk, but where does, that give, where does Scripture say, now you're free to go and leave? And we, you know, this emotional abuse. Again, there are people that are emotionally abused. I'm not saying, but I'm saying they make that the mandate. I've got to get out of this situation. It's scripture. I mean, be careful. Be very careful. 
One man said this, Today's infirmities were once seen more accurately as the pains of selfishness. Today's infirmities were nothing more than selfishness years ago. It's just that we have rechanged it, we've repackaged it. J. Adams writes, Mental and emotional health is the new buzzword. It is not a biblical concept, though many seem to equate it with spiritual wholeness. Sin is called sickness, wrongly so. So people think it requires therapy, not repentance. Habitual sin is called addictive or compulsive behavior, and many surmise its solution is medical care rather than moral correction. See, do you see what happens? So now you have sin, and you have, let's say, uh, habitual sin, and instead of saying you need correction and repentance and, and, and God's Spirit working through you and holiness, we say, well, no, you need to take this drug. You need to be in this program. That may not even be biblical. So if we don't have a sufficient view of Scripture, the church produces people, this is the result, who pursue their own desires based upon an ungodly standard. I wrote down a few questions to ask. Do we humbly and willingly submit to the authority of the Word? Do we willingly, humbly and willingly submit to the authority of the Word? Or do we rationalize sin? Do we rationalize our, our experience? Number two, are our lives conforming to the Word of God? Is it convicting us? Is it changing us? Let me, simple question. Think about what's happening in your life right now, last month. How has God, through His Word, been changing your life? Sometimes I think we get in static mode. And we just kind of go through the drool of church and devotion. But you know, the excitement is this, when God hits your life and he says, this is what I want to see change in your life and only by my power am I going to, you're going to see this change and you walk with me and I'll show you the change. How is God changing your life right now? Not a year ago. How is it? I mean, I can tell you right now, how, I'm not going to, but there, there's some things that right now God is working on me on. I'll give you one, people pleaser. Don't be a people pleaser, John. You stay focused on what you're supposed to do with me. But there's other ones. So are we teaching and applying the word of, of, the, of the Lord to our life, the word of God to our life? Again, I hope you are. We need to be solid in the word of God. And that, let me just go to the last one, a third, and then next week we'll cover the last two. If you have a high view of God and a sufficient view of Scripture... The third one is going to be natural. And they've got to go in that order, by the way. A high view of God, a sufficient view of Scripture, and then you have one of two ways you could say it, a low view of man or an accurate view of man, however you want to put that. You have an accurate view of man now because you have a high view of God. See, sometimes this is how we do in Christianity. This is our views. Exact opposite. We have a high view of ourselves and a low view of Him. If you struggle with sin and continue to go down that path of sin and you don't really care to change, one, you may not be a believer, but if you are, just understand you have a high view of yourself and a low view of him. If you believe he's high and lifted up, if you believe that he wants to transform your life and, he, and he's powerful to do that through his word, then that's how it should be. Do you see what I'm saying? See, we can say, well, I struggle with sin, but you know what you're really saying? Really? You have a, you have a low view of his word and a low view of him. I mean, this is serious stuff. He sent his son. It was preordained before the foundation of the world that he would, if you're saved, that he elected you. I mean, this is serious stuff with God. 
And if you think about it, all the billions of stars out there, there's only one little dirt, dirt pocket called Earth with a little bit of water that He has created. You know what I'm saying? There's not life out over there. There's life here. And He's redeemed you. This is huge stuff. God wants you to walk with Him. You know, what does the Bible teach about mankind? And I know I'll have to do this quick. A couple things. One is that we are totally depraved. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could be, but it means that every part of your life is stained. may not be as stained as... Well, I think I told you years ago, uh, the first day of... No, second day of class when I went to practical. This was a freshman. I was a freshman. I just met my... Um, my uh, 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 roommate and I told him hey listen I'll do your clothes for you and unfortunately I put all his clothes including his new white shirts and underwear and everything in with his red um, sheets that had never been washed before I put them all together and put it on hot and you know what happened all pink what's interesting is just a couple I think a week ago I pulled out this like t-shirt and I'm like what is this and it was pink so someone had done that in my house now that pink wasn't as dark as it could have been it could have been red it was just pink but the point is that every part of that shirt was stained okay now when it comes to sin you're stained it may not be as dark for some people their sin gets very dark but for others, but it's full, it's complete. We are depraved, we are sinners, that's the point. Every part of our being has been stained by sin, okay? Every part. The second thing that we need to know is that man was created to glorify God, but because of sin, he now seeks to glorify himself. He seeks to satisfy himself, to please himself. So you take those two things, and, and again, Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah talks about the heart being deceitful, wicked. And that judgment is against us. And the penalty for that is that all have not only sinned, but that we have also, our penalty is hell. We are under the judgment of God, under the wrath of God. And we are selfish. We are self-serving. We seek to have fulfillment in the world. We don't seek biblical solutions. We seek or God's solutions, we seek the world's uh, solutions. That's without Christ. I'm talking without Christ. In fact, Voltaire said this, God created man in his own image. He was a French philosopher, agnostic or an atheist, but uh, God created man in his own image, and man has forever been trying to return the favor. He created us in his image, now we're trying to create him in our image, right? And this is what God is. But again, in salvation, and many of you know what I'm saying because you have been saved, in salvation, a man becomes a new creation. And he starts the process of becoming more like Christ, to become more conformed to his image. And so I would ask you, have you been saved? Because the Bible is very clear that all of us, from Adam on down, have been stained by sin, and we need forgiveness. And without forgiveness, the wrath of God is on us, and ultimately hell and judgment against us. And it's weighing on us, even though you can't feel it. But if, if you turn to Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness that he accomplished on the cross because he paid for your sin, he will forgive you. And once he forgives you, then your purpose then becomes to become more like him. Because that's why God saved you in the first place. Now again, a failure to recognize depravity and deceitfulness, those two things, the fact that I'm depraved 
and that I'm trying to solve my own problems without Christ before I get saved, turns into this, a rejection or a diminishing of the gospel. See, what happens is if you, if you have a higher view of man than you ought, I mean, if you, have a, if you have a low view of God, you're going to push the gospel. You need to get saved. You need to walk with Him. He needs to fill you with your power. But you find churches that, that do not have a high view of God, they have a high view of man, and the gospel just kind of be shoved aside. It almost becomes like a social gospel. See, this is huge stuff. I trust that we have a high view of God and a low view of man, that we present the gospel because that's the only thing that can save you. This is the other thing that happens, and it's subtle. Felt needs rather than real needs will be addressed. If you don't have a high view of God and a low view of man, you're going to push felt needs. Now, this is how it plays out. I need, and this is what they'll say. I mean, I've been in my counseling so many times, and I'll hear it some way or, or implied. I need to be respected. And if they don't respect me, I want out. I need to be cherished. By the way, is it good, women, is it good to be cherished by your husbands? Absolutely. But if it becomes an idol and you must over anything else, you know what you do? You will bail on that marriage because it's more important for you to be cherished than honor God. Or it might be this, I need to be heard. I need a spouse who loves me and meets my needs. I need to be, I need, I need to not to be depressed. That be, may become an idol. I need to feel good about myself. I need to experience pleasure. I need to have obedient children. Hey, how about that, parents? But that could be an idol. I love to have obedient children, and some of them are some of the time. But that cannot be my idol. That cannot be my, because if it really was my true idol, then I would say if he doesn't, He's gone out of my house. Well, we need to close it down right there. We'll pick up next week. But the point is, is you know what? That is not our greatest need. Let me tell you what your greatest need is. <laughs> I need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven and made right with God. That's salvation. I don't know if you are forgiven. You need to ask yourself, have you received Christ's forgiveness? But let me give you a few other needs I have. I need to be obedient to God. I need obedience to God. That's what, if you want to know what I need, I need to be obedient to God, according to Matthew 28. Teach them to observe what? All things. Let me give you another thing I need. I need to be primarily be concerned with pleasing and glorifying God. That's a need of my life. Do you know that's a need of your life? You're saved, you're obedient, and your focus is glorifying God. That's a real need. And finally... I need to be sanctified, set apart, because God is holy, 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 holy. I just hope this has happened in this few minutes, and I didn't even get through the majority of the sermon. But this is what I'm hoping to happen to your life. If you have a high view of God and a sufficient view of Scripture, that would normally mean that you have a low view of yourself. And then you'll say this, you know, it's not about me. It's about me getting right with God, and that's through salvation. And once I get right with God through salvation, now I need to walk with Him. And only He can help me do that and empower me to do that. And as I walk with Him, my eyes are not on myself, but on glorifying Him and becoming more like Him, right? Now we come together as church, and we're on the same page. Now we come to church, and we don't evaluate. Now, you can evaluate my message. It's up to between you and God. But the point is this. If He's pleased, that's all that matters. Okay, And we work together, not for our own benefit, but for his glory. And 
Issues in our lives become minimized. Why? Because God is big and we're small. And sometimes that's not the way it is. We're, we're walking through life selfish. And I trust if nothing else, you will say, listen, hey, if I'm selfish, Lord, point it out. Lord, make me teachable. Convict my heart. Change me. Don't let me just stay in that same rut. Some of you are in the same rut. You have been dealing with the same sins for 10 years. And God would say this, you know what? I have the power. I can change you. But you have to be radically committed to going my way. It can't be about you. It has to be about me, he would say. And if you're willing to make the commitment, Lord, if you're saved, if you're not saved, you need to receive him. But if you're saved, you say, Lord, I will do whatever the scripture says. I will follow you because you know what? He, do you think he wants his children holy? Just ask, Do you think that's true? He absolutely, you know, sometimes I have this very sinful thought, like, Lord, you want to see me fail. I've had that thought before. And you know what? He, he said, no, uh, it's louder. I would never want my child to fail. I want you to walk with me because I have called you to holiness. Do you think he wants you in the ditch of sin? Sometimes I think we think, ah, maybe this is just my lot in life. No, 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 no. God wants you to be holy for I am holy. Just think about that. Be holy. Be like me because I am holy. Be the other. Be different. Be pure. Be true. So again, if you're struggling, understand it may be because you have... Well, yeah, I just think that's what God, I don't have a, you don't have a sufficient view of Scripture. God can actually change you through His Word. Let's stand as we, we praise Him. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be pure.